0: If you brought your Bibles this morning, and I hope you did, turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We'll read the first nine verses. If you did not bring a Bible and you'd like to follow along, there's one in the seat in front of you. The black book there. Same version that I'm reading from here this morning. Philippians chapter 4. I want to speak to you on the battle for your mind. And as we read along... See if you see that theme throughout these nine verses. Philippians 4.1, Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore you, Odia, and I implore Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Father God, thank you for your word. This is your word, the word of God, the inerrant, infallible, perfect, holy, Inspired, God breathed Word of God. And we're thankful for it. And we pray today that we would be open to it, that our hearts and minds would be receptive, that the Holy Spirit would get hold of me as I speak and preach, that you would fill me and enable me to say exactly what I ought to as I try to explain this passage and say nothing else, certainly nothing I ought not to. And I pray that all of us would be receptive to the Holy Spirit as He takes that and applies it to our hearts. May we be not just hearers today, but doers. May we be changed by your word, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Satan wants your mind. If you are a believer, a Christian, he cannot have your soul. You belong to Christ, and nothing can change that, but he can still get into your head, and he can still mess with your mind, and he can still affect your thought life. In so doing, he can make you ineffective. In your walk with Christ, he can he can make you equally ineffective in winning others to Christ and sharing your faith. He cannot unsave you, but he can so affect you that others might be that who might have been saved through you, won't be. Satan wants your mind. His primary battleground has always been there, in your mind. We don't need to look any further than the very first chapter or the very first section in the Bible, uh, the very first mention of Satan in the Garden of Eden, when he messed with Eve's mind. Yea, hath God said. He questioned what God had said and got her to think wrongly. She knew what God had said, but Satan got her to question it. He got into her head. He got into her mind. Satan wants your mind. He wants to control your thoughts. He wants to get you to think wrongly. He wants to get you to engage in what old Howard Hendricks used to call stinking thinking. That's what he wants for you. Jesus told Peter, Satan has desired to have you, that he might sift you as wheat. Peter told Ananias and Sapphira that Satan was responsible for their wrong thinking in Acts chapter 5. It was Satan who filled Judas's heart with the idea of betraying Christ in John chapter 13. And Jesus said it is Satan who takes the words out of the hearts of some who hear the gospel so that they are not saved in Luke chapter 8, in verse number 12. He wants your mind. And it's up to you, Christian, whether he can influence it or not. Now, I want to be as clear as I can today. I'm speaking to those who are saved, those who are born again, those who are converted, regenerated, children, daughters, sons of God, those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. Not not those who just think that by coming to church they're they're okay. No, those who at some point in their life came to a place where they said, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I know Jesus died for me, and I accept him as my Savior. That group and that group alone is the only one who has any kind of resource to uh, protect themselves against Satan. The others, those who have not trusted Christ, Satan already has your mind. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ, he's already got you. He's already in control of you. You might not know it. Jesus one time came across a fellow. We refer to him as the maniac of Gadara. You may remember that story. You can look it up. And, of course, the person was out of his mind. Hence, we call him the maniac. Possessed with multiple demons, all kinds of things. And Jesus saved him, healed him. And then in the very next instance, we see him, and the Bible describes him this way it says that we saw him sitting and clothed and in his right mind. It's the first time he had been that way. So it's an important distinction. I want to make sure we understand it. If you are saved, Satan wants your mind, but he can't have it. You belong to Christ, you are his. You have the indwelling Holy Spirit keeping you safe. But, and it is a big but, he can still influence you. He can still get you to think wrongly if you will let him. This passage in Paul's letter to the Philippians gives us some wonderful instruction on how to win the battle for our minds. How to push Satan's influence aside and think rightly. And of course, verse number 8 is the obvious text On this topic, as we read down through, here, I'm sure you all thought, oh, he's going to talk about verse number eight, because it's talking very specifically about the mind. But I think, as I studied this, the entire section has something to say to us about how we think and about our mind. So what does the mind of a Christian look like, the mind that Satan is not influencing, the mind that is winning the battle? Well, let's look at some of these verses and see if we can find anything. Verse number one. I would suggest to you that that mind is a steadfast mind. Therefore, my beloved and longed for, brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. Beloved, a steadfast mind. I was blessed to attend Bible college in my younger years. And uh, the things I learned and experienced there influenced me greatly. I've, uh, I've sifted those things as I've grown older in my faith, or maybe just as I've grown older. And I've come to believe some of them needed a little refinement. But for the most part, I am today, to a large extent, what I became through that experience. The things that I learned there I still hold to today, for the most part. The pastor of the church and the chancellor of the college at the time used to have a favorite theme. Somehow he managed to work this theme into every single sermon and every single talk that he ever gave. And that theme was, don't quit! Never quit on God, absolutely no matter what. He somehow managed to get that worked in. I don't know how he did it, but he did. It was almost magical. His diatribes on the, on the subject would always make me think of Winston Churchill. You remember Winston Churchill's famous, famous speech, never quit, never surrender, never, 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 never quit? That was pretty much what he would do. I remember one particular, particular sermon that he was preaching, and he got off on that thing, and he pulled out his white hanky like this, and he said, You guys want to quit? Now he's preaching to a bunch bunch of preacher boys. You guys want to quit? Go ahead. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I've never, I'm not trying to make any kind of comment on his methods or anything like that. I don't know if he was right or wrong on that kind of stuff, but I'll tell you one thing. Every time I come to a place now in my life where I think about quitting on God, Every time where I come to a place where, you know, the burden gets heavy and I start to think, you know what, I've done as much as I'm going to do. Here comes swimming in front of my face that preacher, waving that hanky and saying, go ahead, quit. Bye-bye. Might not have worked for everybody, but it sure worked for me. The thought of quitting on God uh, is something that I just can't quite, I just can't condone it now. And let me say this, Christian, if you're ever going to win the battle for your mind, you've got to settle it right up front, that no matter what slings and arrows might come your way, no matter what traps the enemy may lay, no matter what disappointments or hurts or mistakes or failings you stumble over, no matter the rubble and ruin that might surround you at times, you are not going to quit on God. That's what you have to settle in your mind. The mind that wins the battle is a steadfast mind. Look around this church. We do this from time to time. Most of you who have attended here any length of time can see seats where someone used to worship, but they're not there today. Nor are they ever there anymore. Something stopped them, something tripped them, something hurt them, something broke them, and they quit. But it's never right to quit on God. Ever. It's never right to compromise. It's never right to give in to sin, even a little bit, just because things get hard. The mind that wins the battle is a steadfast mind, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Verse number two, it's a unified mind. I implore you, and I implore Syntyche, to be of the same mind. Are we there? Ah, there we are. All right. So what are we talking about? I forgot my whole sermon now. Let's see. We're talking about a unified mind. Satan loves to divide us, doesn't he? He absolutely lo- he loves to get us arguing and bickering about the dumbest stuff, doesn't he? And as the fact that I'm talking about Satan today is the reason that all this nonsense is occurring. We're not ignorant of his devices, are we? We don't have to be divided. We can choose unity. And you notice that's what Paul told these women to do, choose unity. Unity. Be of the same mind in the Lord is an imperative. It's something they could choose to do. It's something they should choose to do. Being of the same mind in the Lord, first of all, meant that they needed to agree with God about things. His way. Be of the same mind in the Lord. His way, as defined in his book, the Bible, is the guide for all of our thoughts. Have you ever noticed when people are considering a wrong thought, they start to look for other people who will agree with their position? Somebody who's thinking about getting divorced will immediately start to seek out the advice of other people who have been divorced. They will not talk to people who have successful marriages. They will talk to people who have uh, or who have gone through a divorce because they want to be of the same mind with somebody. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about being of the same mind in the Lord. That's the only one that matters. Being of the same mind also means we don't always get our way. Sometimes. I know it's hard to believe. Sometimes somebody might actually have a better idea than you. Sometimes they might actually have a better idea than me. It's possible. When everybody has a my way or the highway mindset, there can be no unity. And so let's just determine that we're not going to let Satan divide us. And in any areas where he may have already got a foothold, let's kick him in the teeth. Let us be of the same mind in the Lord. That's the kind of mind that wins the battle. Verse number three, it's a steadfast mind. It's a unified mind. It's also a helpful mind. Verse three, I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. It's a helpful mind. Mine. Paul asked his true companion to intervene in the matter of Euodia and Syntyche. He asked him to help. We don't know who this true companion was. Some have suggested that the Greek word there is actually a name. The Greek word that is translated true companion is the word syzygus I can't even say it. syzygus could be a name. And it makes sense that it would be such, for it appears in a passage with names both before and afterwards. So he's saying syzygus You need to intervene, and you need to help these two women. And I love the clarity of Paul's words to him here. These two ladies are not in agreement. They're not getting along. Something has come between them and their walk with Christ and their union with his church, and Paul's command here is so simple, help these ladies. Help them. If we're going to win the battle for our minds, we have to admit that from time to time we need help. We get ourselves in a spiritual place, as these two ladies did, where we need somebody to help us. And we also must submit to Paul's clear admonition here and help those who are in such a place. If we're not them, maybe we're the one who needs to help. Our minds are not always clear on things. We find ourselves influenced by things we see or hear, by other people that come into our lives. Sometimes we stray, stray from the truth. Robert Robinson wrote about this proneness we have toward wandering In that great hymn of the faith, I don't know how long it's been since we sang this one, we probably ought to sing it sometime, Come Thou Fount. Listen to some of the words from that song. O to grace, how great a debtor daily I am constrained to be. Let Thy grace, Lord, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to Thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, O take and seal it with Thy Spirit from above. From time to time. Our wandering minds need a brother or sister to step in and get us back on track. And from time to time, we will see some or one who are the wandering ones. We need help. We need to step in, get them back on track. Paul told Syzygous to be such, to have such a helpful mind. Verse number four, it is a joyful mind. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I greatly appreciated our missionary Ron Letts sermon this past Lord's Day. I especially liked his emphasis on joy, particularly the joy he has in his old age. Having just turned 60, which was a significant milestone to me, I I didn't have the slightest problem with turning 30 or 40 or 50, but 60 for some reason hit me in the gut a little bit. And so now I find my ears perking up whenever the subject of old age comes up. And so when he started talking about his joy... In his old age, uh, you know, I just couldn't help but listen. He talked about how he has joy in serving Christ that doesn't wane with age, as do other aspects of life. It stays steady. Perhaps it even grows. And I just wanted to say hallelujah. Paul told the Philippians here to rejoice in the Lord. Verse number four, how often? Always. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then maybe for those like me who are getting older and hard of hearing, he repeated it. It's almost as if somebody said, uh, "Paul, what was that? What'd you say?" And he said, "Again, I will say, rejoice, rejoice." You know, there's a lot in this section that we're that we're examining here this morning that speaks about uh, how we ought to think and the, the mindset that we ought to have, the thought processes that win the battle in which we are engaged. But this one jumps out to me as something uniquely Christian. This matter of joy. Lost people can be steadfast in their thinking. Lost people can be united in their thinking. Lost people can be helpful towards others. Lost people are often all of those things. But only one who gets hold of what he or she really has in Jesus Christ can understand joy. Only one who has Jesus Christ living within their heart can understand joy. It's a uniquely Christian thing to have a mind that can rejoice in the Lord Always. And again I say, rejoice. Paul and Silas were tossed into prison for preaching the gospel. Tossed into prison after having been severely beaten first. Let me read you a little bit, a couple verses about that. It says, when they had laid many stripes on them, many stripes, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So here they are, beaten, bloody, tortured, Mobilized in the stocks, imprisoned, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. That's the joy that Paul's writing about here. That's the joy that he would later write about to these Philippians, joy that oozes out of our every pore, even when we're at the lowest points of our life, joy that bursts forth such that others hear and see it. That's the mind that wins the battle. I'm going to tell a story on somebody. Is she here? Where's Shelly? There she is right there. I hope you don't mind if I tell a story on you. Good. I was going to do it anyway. <laughs> Sister Shelly started attending here not, not that long ago. She's only been with us for a short time. And uh, she almost immediately got involved in some other things. And always a joy to see she's been attending Wednesday night prayer meetings. And let me tell you something. Every one of you ought to be in Wednesday night prayer meetings. Wednesday night prayer meetings are one of the most important things we do here. They'll change your life. This past Wednesday was one of those less than stellar days for me. One of those days where I had to drag myself to prayer meeting. And I do have those. A lot of people who have those, they would just stay home. But I can't. I have, I have to be here. So I have to drag myself here. And so I did. And I was uh, I was uh, sitting here in prayer meeting, and I'm always amazed how when I have those kinds of days, God does something in prayer meeting, always, every single time he does something in prayer meeting that makes me just rejoice that I went and turn that whole attitude around. This particular week, it was Sister Shelley who did this to me. And, and when I tell you what she did, you're going to think, well, Bill, you're just a complete goon. There's absolutely no way that was that big of a deal. But it was for me. I was sitting here, and Brother Don was up front, and he was fielding prayer requests, and... Uh, all the normal things were coming up as prayer requests. And then uh, all of a sudden Shelly said, I want to pray for Old Fashioned Sunday. And I, it, I don't even remember what all she said. I remember her saying that she, she prayed that, that it would, the place would be full and, 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 the, and that, the, that the service would be wonderful and the weather would be great and everybody in Randolph would hear about it and the, we'd have to put up chairs and just, it, it, all kinds of things she said. I don't remember what she said. I just remember the way she said it. And I remember she threw her arms up in the air and she had this joyful look on her face as she issued that prayer request. And I'll tell you, by the time she was done, I was ready to shout. Hallelujah. Just that. Because it was joy that was just pouring out of somebody. And I, I you know, I might have been thumbsucky coming in here that night, but I was rejoicing when I went out over something that simple. The joy filled mind will win the battle every single day. Now, for the sake of time, I'm, I'm going to just mention a couple of these other ones here because I want to get to one very particular one. But let me just mention a couple more. Verse number five, the, the, the mind that wins the battle is a gentle mind, a gentle mind. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. You know, I'll just say a sentence or two about this. In, in our day and age, we're telling somebody off is considered a virtue. I get so tired of that. I get so tired of Looking on social media, and I've gotten to where I can't hardly stand to look at the comments because people just think it's some kind of a virtue to just spout something that they would never say to your face because they'd get punched dead in the throat if they did. But they'll say it on social media. Christians will say it on social media. That's not the way we're to be. We need this reminder. We need gentleness. God, make us gentle and kind in our thinking, in our words, in our every interaction. That's the mind that wins the battle. Verses 6 and 7, it's a praying mind. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I don't suppose any passage has figured so prominently in our midweek prayer meetings as that when we have dissected that verse every which way we could think of to do it. We've preached on it every which way we could think of to do it. It's just a wonderful verse on prayer. And the fact is that while we can make every effort to have the kind of mind Paul is encouraging in us, we can't do it alone. The battle for our minds is too strong. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We need prayer. We need to pray. The minute you think prayer is unimportant, Christian, is the minute the battle starts to go against you. The minute you think you can handle the enemy's attacks alone is the minute you begin to go down. We all need prayer. We all need to pray. We need praying minds. One more. Verse number nine. Verse number nine. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. I'm mentioning this one out of order because I want to come back to verse number eight and finish with that. The mind that wins the battle is a taught, learned, and active mind. Taught, learned, and active. Paul said a couple things in this verse that can keep our heads on straight if we'll heed them. He said they had learned some things from him, both by his example and from his teaching. He implied in his statement that they ought to remember those things. He was referring to them, stirring up their remembrance of those things, You have been taught some things. You have learned some things. Remember them, he's saying. But he also said they needed to act on those things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. Do. That's the major point in that verse. If we're going to win the battle for our minds, we need to pay attention to what we are taught by those God has raised up to teach us. Teachers are a gift from God to all of us. I thank God for those that have taught me the word of God. Praise God for those who teach here and anywhere, on a radio, anywhere you hear the teaching of the word of God. But we need to do more than just sit and soak. We need to do. We need to act. It is the taught, learned, and active mind that wins the battle. So, Christian, let me ask you a question. How goes the battle with you? How goes the battle for your mind? Satan wants it. Does he have it? When I was young and ripped and strong, and there was such a time, I know it's impossible to imagine now, but there was such a time, I used to like to arm wrestle. And I used to like to arm wrestle my son, Joshua. Now, those of you who have ever met Joshua know that he uh, he grew up to be a 300-pound lineman at Mount Union on their national championship football team. I did not arm wrestle him at that time. I arm wrestled him before then. You know, back then, I was a five foot eight computer programmer who occasionally rode a bicycle from time to time. But he would challenge me, or I would challenge him, and I would always win. Of course, I defi- def- uh, retired undefeated because I quit before the 300-pound lineman days. You ever watch an arm wrestling match? It's interesting. An arm wrestling match is... It is interesting, especially if the wrestlers are evenly matched. It kind of goes back and forth, doesn't it? One person will seem to get the upper hand just for a moment, and he'll look like he's winning. And then all of a sudden, the other person will come up with some surge of strength, and he'll start to go the other way. And sometimes it goes back and forth several times, until finally the stronger one wins. You know, I think it's that way with the battle for our minds. We might think we have the upper hand. But then the enemy comes out of nowhere. some fresh blast, and we suddenly feel the possibility of defeat. Back and forth we go. Everything we've discussed so far tells us what the mind of the Christian might look like, the mind that wins the battle, what it might look like. But when we come to verse number 8, I think we have here maybe a formula. We have here something that can actually help us get there, because in verse number 8, Paul tells us, Not only what our thinking should look like, but he tells us how to test our thinking. He gives us some things to test, criteria against which we can measure everything we encounter in this life. Everything Satan throws before us and ensure we think about it rightly. Whatever it is we're thinking about, whatever decision we're trying to make, whatever influence we're undergoing can be held up to the light of this verse. And we will be helped. If we but conform our thinking to this verse, all the other things we've already discussed will fall into place. Verse number 8, finally, brethren, whatever things are true... Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. I think Paul is giving us there's some questions that we can ask of any other thought that comes into our mind. Some questions, some criteria that we can apply. So let's look at them. Let's ask ourselves these questions uh, whenever something is in our mind that we're wondering about. Ask ourselves, is it true? Is it true? Satan is a liar, you know. Jesus said he was a liar and the father of lies. When we are tempted to think wrongly, this part right here is the strongest thing we can throw back at it. If it's not true, reject it. Immediately. Completely. Without question. Reject it. The Bible says that God's word is truth. Compare it to that always. Is it true? True. He says, is it noble? Noble. Some translations say honorable. I would suggest that the mind that wins the battle takes the high road and not the low. It's the thoughts that are dignified and worthy of respect. doesn't get pulled down into the gutter of culture. It thinks nobly. That's not something that very many people do these days. Is it noble? Is it just? Is it right? Is it righteous? All those words would fit right there and translate that same word, is it just? Fill your mind with that if you would win the battle. Right things, righteous things, just things. Is it pure? And boy, we could park on that one. That's a big one for our age and for our culture. We are swimming in such a sea of filth and impurity in our land. And yes, in our churches. Pornography is rampant, violent, and impure and wicked imagery is everywhere. I'm always intrigued when I walk into the home of, of people, Christians, and the television is on. You know, I have a television, and I watch my television when I'm in the room watching it. But I oftentimes am amazed by the number of people who just have a television on. It's just on all the time, never off. Nobody's even in the room, and the television is on. And I always wonder about that because there it is, just background noise and stuff pouring out of it into our homes all day long, impure stuff. We need to test our thoughts, Christians. We need to always ask, is it pure? Is it pure? Is it lovely? And I think this one's similar to the noble one he mentioned earlier, the high road that we ought to take. Think about the high things, the lovely things, the beautiful things. Is it commendable? Some translations say of good report there. Some say admirable there. We've seen a pattern here. You know how Paul is telling us to think? He's telling us to think good thoughts actively and often. Force ourselves to think about the good things, to push out the bad things if we're going to win the battle against them. Is it commendable? Is it virtuous or praiseworthy? Excellence is the thought there. Paul's elevated it even further now. He's not just talking about things that are good. He's talking about things that are excellent. He's reaching even higher. We should seek to be the highest, to think about the highest and the best of things, the excellent thing. And then Paul says, meditate on those things. Think on them. Dwell on them. Test every thought against them. Because right thinking, biblical thinking, defeats wrong thinking every time. Father God, thank you for your word. I pray this is helpful to all of us. I know, Lord, I've enjoyed studying this and thinking through it. And I I recognize how desperately I need it so often. Lord, we are indeed in a battle for our minds. We face an enemy who would try to trip us up every way he can. Forgive us when we fall, but help us, Lord, to take advantage of the uh, instruction that you give us in your word. Help us, Lord, to think right thoughts. May we think about the things that are true and just and right and noble and lovely commendable and praiseworthy and virtuous. May we meditate upon those things. And therefore, Lord, may we have minds that are joy-filled, minds that are united, minds that are that are just all these things that Paul said they ought to be. Help us, I pray. And Lord, if there's even one believer here today who's struggling with any of this, and I'm sure there's more than one, but Lord, if, uh, if there are those who maybe have come to a place in their life where they, they have to admit their mind is dominated by stinking thinking, then Lord, help them today to bow right where they are, or even better, to come forward as we sing and kneel here at this altar and talk to you about this and seal it right now that they're going to work on thinking the right way. And I pray, Lord, for others who might be here today. We we mentioned the fact that if a person has never trusted Christ, uh, their mind is already under the control of Satan. And, Lord, I pray today, if there's any like that today, that that statement would wake them up to the danger that they are in, that they are lost, that they are undone, that they are without hope, that if they are to die in that particular state, they will go straight to hell And, Lord, I pray today that if there's even one like that, they'll know that they can erase all of that simply by saying, Lord, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that you died for me and I want to be saved today. I trust you as my savior and Lord help them to know they can do that right where they sit or Lord that they could step out and it would be better. Come to the front and uh, kneel right here and do it before God and all these people. Lord, whatever the needs might be, speak to our hearts today. If we need to make changes, if we need to pray, if we need to make commitments, whatever we need to do, help us, Father, to look at our thought life, apply these criteria, and uh, get right. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.